I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning. It is Monday, October 26th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined, as we are every Monday, by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. Fresh off of riding college football overtime, fresh off of 12 hours of football. Here we sit on Sunday afternoon talking about uh, week eight. And for the Big Ten, it was week one. And Chris, we we, we figured out, uh, we discussed the plan for this podcast. We're going to go conference by conference to allow our listeners to jump around if they so choose. And we'll start with the Big Ten where there's clearly the most to talk about. And Chris, when you, when you think about the Big Ten and, and its debut performance, I imagine your mind wanders to Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, no doubt. Um, shock of the day. And we've we've seen plenty of early upsets this season. But if you had told me Michael Penix would have played as poorly as he did for three quarters and Indiana would have upset uh, Penn State, I would have laughed at you. But that's that's where we were at game's end. Obviously, uh, Devin Ford not taking a knee on the goal line has gotten a lot of attention. But I think Penn State just simply blew that game at game's end. I think you can go through five different scenarios in which they could have won in the final minutes and in overtime. And for the number eight team in the country to go down like that, kind of spoiling uh, a whiteout game next week uh, with Ohio State in town was just a huge shocker. And I think it shows once again that there's only a few elite teams in college football. And uh, I'm sure we'll get to Ohio State, but uh, Penn State certainly isn't one of them. Yeah, Penn State was lethargic for a while. New new offensive coordinator, but they really kind of looked the same old stale Penn State that that can you know, get you for a few, a few, I mean, it was 17 to seven at, at halftime and, and, you know, Sean Clifford and those guys really had to rally, um, to even, to, to even have a chance to blow the game. I think part of the issue with Penn state is like, ultimately like they switched to Kirk Soraka, other new offensive coordinator. And ultimately like this system is built around playmakers. Like Kirk Soraka is not particularly, um, he's not, he's not going to throw anything crazy at you. He's pretty basic. Like at Minnesota, it was a lot of RPOs. It was a lot of uh, kind of zone runs, um, taking advantage of Tanner Morgan's ability to kind of quickly and deliver accurately, quickly and deliver quickly deliver the football uh, accurately, and also um, with guys like Rashad Bateman to stretch the field with uh, Tyler Johnson kind of ha- causing havoc over the middle. Penn State, the kind of advantage Penn State's supposed to have is its running game and its tight ends, but Penn State really lacks playmakers on the outside to stretch the defense the same way Kirk Soraka did last year. Um, with the Gophers, and I think that got exposed a little bit um, Saturday night. Other than Sean Clifford, he had one really long pass kind of uh, near the end of the game to open things up. Like, he averaged 6.8 yards per attempt all night long, and if you're Penn State, that's just not going to get it done. Like, you have to be more explosive than that. You have to open the field up a little bit more, and I'm just I'm not sure if Penn State has the pieces to do so consistently. So I think we are, though, bearing the lead about this game. <clears throat> the 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 coaching staff, James Franklin afterward, like said that they had gone over this type of situation with the players. Like Devin Ford should have known to kneel it. He, he, 
and he insinuated they they even talked about it on the sideline, but uh, you know said hey it, it's still on me to to not get them coached up to to make that happen. So that was bad, and, and Penn State fans are starting to get a little bit sick of James Franklin's close game management tactics, which never really seemed to go in their favor. And then of course like it goes to overtime, and Michael Penix has just that incredible stretch out looked like Michael Jordan in Space Jam. Um, his arm just elastically just just hits, and I want to know your thoughts, Chris, on on the call, uh, the the thing the the topic that's going to dominate the water coolers if we had water cooler combos in twenty twenty. It was called a, it was called a conversion. I, I remember watching the Indiana players celebrate, and I was like, "Why are they celebrating?" He was short. Um, yeah, same. The place the place stood. I really felt like he like the the ball hits hits uh, the turf before it hits the pylon, and I think the the photo. I think it it proved my point, but I'm not going to sit here and say I was upset to see it st- stand. Like, it was an, an awesome moment for Indiana. Yeah, I really thought it was going to be one of those times where you had Indiana's entire uh, sideline celebrating, and then five minutes later, after the Big Ten sorted out the call, Penn State sideline would get to do the same thing. I've watched that play like 20 times, and I'm still not 100% sure. I lean towards him being a little short. To me, it looks like the back end of the football hits kind of the uh, white chalk along the sideline before the uh, nose of the football hits the pylon. Um, I've watched it a lot, and that's kind of what I come away with. I just think at the end of the day, the the reason why it happened the way it did is because they called it a touchdown on the field. Had they called it short on the field, I don't think there would have been enough evidence to overturn it. And that's just kind of bad luck on Penn State's case, but also they let out they, – they surrendered two fourth-down conversions in the final essentially five minutes of the game. So – uh, I know Penn State's a little sore after this one, but it's a it's a tough loss. All right, so we're going to move on. We can't spend that much time talking about each game, but uh, I, I think there were en- enough notable points in there to to devote that much time to it. So Michigan forty nine, and, and by the way, the final of Indiana Penn State was thirty six thirty five. So Michigan forty nine, Minnesota twenty four. Joe Milton looks really good in his debut as a starting quarterback for the Wolverines. Fifteen for twenty two, two hundred twenty five yards and touchdown. Also had 52 yards rushing and, and a score. He's a big guy. I don't know who he reminds me of, but like, I'm not going to say Cam Newton. He's not nearly that nimble, but just a big battering no, ram type no, of player. He, he looks like, I mean, he is not as athletic as Cam Newton. Let's get that straight. But like they are using him in a very similar fashion to the way Cam Newton um, is used, even with the New England Patriots right now. I'm not, I am not comparing Joe Milton to Cam Newton, the college player. Like they are not on the same stratosphere. Right. But in yeah, terms we of get physical. It. But in terms of physical stature and kind of the battering ram way that Josh Gaddis was using him, I think they are kind of comparable. Arm strength, pretty similar to Milton's got a cannon. Yeah, so so Michigan played really well. Don Brown's defense did what it does. I know Minnesota is a little bit shorthanded. You know, it was nice to see Rashad Bateman and uh, Muhammad Ibrahim from Minnesota had nice games as well. But this was a th- this was a thorough win for Michigan. And a week ago, I might have if you asked me to guess the headlines for Saturday probably would have been like a Jim Harbaugh loss. Uh, but that's that wasn't the case. And, and so you compare this Michigan performance with Penn State's and you go, okay, Michigan might be the second best team in the Big Ten East. And then you you look at Ohio State 52-17 to 17 over Nebraska in which Justin Fields was 20 for 21. You don't, like I don't see Ohio State losing, but if they were to in the Big Ten East, I would think Michigan is the most likely opponent to get them yeah 100% I don't think there's much doubt uh following this week maybe Penn State rallies next week and plays much better I just 
I do not see Penn State being able to be explosive enough to compete with Ohio State this season. The Buckeyes just look tremendous. Do you, do you think Wisconsin, um, given what Graham Mertz can do and, and maybe open up that, that passing attack that we haven't seen them do in Madison since Russell Wilson, is could that be enough to take down Ohio State? I don't know about takedown. I think it's going to make it a lot closer than it has been. But the thing with Wisconsin that always gives me kind of pause against Ohio State is the kind of lack of athleticism in the secondary. And obviously that's um, that's athleticism with a caveat. All of those people are much more athletic than I will ever be. But when you talk about the elite athletes that play in the secondary in the Big Ten, the players that are at Ohio State or the players that are at a place like Alabama or a place like LSU, like there's a pretty significant drop down uh, when you get to Wisconsin uh, where they have really well coached players in the secondary. They have players that are great in the box, physical downhill. But when it comes to defending kind of those mesh concepts, defending Garrett Wilson one-on-one in the slot, defending Chris Olave, Olave when he's going deep, I just don't know if Wisconsin has those guys in the secondary to keep up with Ohio State uh, for 60 minutes. Yeah, so the Buckeyes didn't really run the ball that well. Trace Sermon, uh, four yards of carry. Uh, Master Teague, a little bit less than that. But I, th- I think they're going to get it together. And the receivers that you just mentioned, Garrett Wilson had seven catches for 129 yards and a touchdown. He's already on a superstar level. Olave got like, just drilled a few times, but still had 100 yards. And then that f- true freshman class with two um, top 24-7 five-star players and, and two other top 100 dudes is is looking the part. I, I don't know if they're going to get many targets this year with, with just there's only one football to go around. But but Jackson Smith and Jigba had the the catch of the, of the day, the, making a soaring grab, getting one foot down. He's he's awesome. Julian Fleming had one catch for, for 13 yards. He was a top five recruit in the 2020 class. So. Yeah, I mean that's gonna it's gonna be a problem for anybody to, to stop those guys. And I think if if we're if you're picking Ohio State to win the national title, you're probably picking them to just absolutely overwhelm people with that passing attack. Yeah, no doubt. And I think Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Now that um, unfortunately, and we'll get there, I'm sure Jalen Waddles out for the season with a nasty ankle injury. Chris Olave and. Uh, Garrett Wilson are probably the best one-two receiver combination in the country. And we've seen, and we talked about this last week, how important having playmakers at those positions are right now. And Ohio State has the best pairing of anybody, at least among contenders, uh, kind of heading into uh, the latter part of this season. And I think that is so critical. And as well, that offensive line played well, so I have no doubt that the run game will eventually kind of uh, get into shape there. But if Justin Fields plays that way and the receivers play that way all year, anybody who picked Ohio State has to feel great about their um, national championship pick. All right, so finishing up the Big Ten, Rutgers 38, Michigan State 27. Michigan State is probably going to be pretty bad this year, but this was, I think, Rutgers' first Big Ten win since 2017. It's been 1,085 days since uh, Rutgers won their last Big Ten game. So, yeah, 2017. And this might... This could be their only Big Ten win of the year, although they do look better than Maryland. But th- this is great. Like Greg Schiano is clearly a very good coach. I'm excited to see what they do uh, in, in New Jersey. Purdue 24, Iowa 20. Purdue did that without Jeff Brom on the sidelines and without Rondell Moore. 
at receiver. Your guy, David Bell, Chris, 13 catches, 121 yards, and three touchdowns. That's the Purdue sophomore. He's he's receiver. a monster. That's the second year in a row he's had 13 catches against Iowa. He's just been Iowa's worst nightmare. No, no one talks about him enough. And then this revamped Northwestern offense with Peyton Ramsey at quarterback that transferred from Indiana. He threw for 200 yards and a touchdown. They blasted Maryland 43-3. to Talia Tungavailoa had three interceptions uh, on a 14 for 25 day. Maryland, when they lose, it is ugly. And I don't think Mike Loxley is going to be on the hot seat in his second year in College Park. But like Maryland fans don't expect them to win every game or you know expect them to even really compete to win the Big Ten East. But if you're going to lose, like you can't get you can't be 43 to three and it can't be. I mean, it's 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 almost on a weekly basis now that they just get crushed by somebody. And I just wonder, is there any competency there on the coaching staff? I just I feel like Maryland was a one seed nationally in terms of programs that would have been just fine with the season staying canceled. Uh, Maryland's <laughs> recruiting. No, I'm serious. Maryland's recruiting really well in 2021. I think they're number 18 nationally in that class. They really need to get some pieces in along the offensive line. Their quarterback room needs to kind of get solved, even with uh, Talia coming in. And like Mike Loxley just needs a couple of years to get recruiting in order uh, before it just all collapses at his feet. So his recruiting doesn't collapse at the same time. But if they're going to have results like that every Saturday, like that recruiting class is going to fall apart too. So that's, yeah. that's a really rough look for Maryland. I mean, think about this. Like last fall, they lost 54 to seven to Nebraska. They lost 73 to 14 to Ohio state, 52 to 10 to Maryland, um, 40 to 14 to Purdue, 59 to zero to Penn state. It's horrible. So well, Mike Loxley's career coaching record is six and forty-one. So oh, it's man. not it's not any different uh, than what we saw in New Mexico, which is kind of more of the same so far. You know, speaking of guys who are on the hot seat, and over in the ACC, I think Dino Babers and Syracuse, like they they entered the week as perhaps the worst Power Five team in the country, and they were forty-four point dogs to to Clemson, and they really played quite well, uh, forty-seven twenty-one, a, a Clemson win that. You know, the, the Tigers pulled away in the third quarter thanks to a scoop and score uh, started by Brian Brzee. You know, Trevor Lawrence even said, like, the energy was not what we needed from that game. And I just, I just, I just wonder if it's hard, Chris, to – they just blasted Georgia Tech 73-7. to Clemson, you know, gets told all week they're going to mercy rule Syracuse. It, it probably is hard, especially in a year without much crowd noise to, to get up for every single game. And then you mentioned in college football overtime, Syracuse cl- tends to – give Clemson problems. Uh, I don't know if you watched much of that, but any takeaways on that front? I, I had to watch at least a little bit of it uh, when the game got close. And I think I actually just like, I'm kind of getting off subject a little bit, but I think that's the most impressive part of what Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban have been able to do kind of during this run for Saban for the last more than a decade. And for Sweeney, the last six years is to consistently get their teams revved up to play these games. They don't lose these games often. And even at during a time where or Clemson probably played the worst at will all season, it still right. ended up winning by, I think, three touchdowns. So that kind of speaks to Clemson's ability to rally. But um, I think actually talking to you, you made a great point about their offensive line kind of struggling. Um, that unit had been pretty good all season, even though it was a concern coming into the year with only one returning starter. And if Syracuse is getting pressure and they're not able to run against Syracuse, 
Like Clemson's going to have a lot of trouble against the better defensive lines in the country. And Notre Dame in two weeks will be a really interesting litmus test for Clemson in that regard. Like that defensive front for Notre Dame isn't as good as you'll see maybe with Alabama or Ohio State, but it's excellent. And uh, I think we'll know a lot more about the Tigers' O-line when they play uh, the Irish. Yeah, here's potentially the problem there. Last year in the playoff, really couldn't run the ball that well. And then the outside receivers who were both excellent, T. Higgins and Justin Ross, struggled against the Jeff Okudas and the Christian Fultons and the Derek Stingleys of the world. They won't play defensive backs that talented this year. However, they also don't have T. Higgins and Justin Ross. And the young receivers haven't stepped up in a way that Clemson fans thought they might. Frank Gladson's having drop issues. Joseph Ngata is not really healthy yet. Dabo says he's the best thing since sliced bread. Uh, Amari Rogers has turned into the man in the slot, and they have really found the tight end. But unless one of those young receivers steps up or unless Justin Ross comes back, this season, maybe some sometime around the ACC title game in, in December, we'll see. He's he's you know practicing now, kind of. Um, like they're going to have to run the ball, and you have maybe the best running back in the country, Travis Etienne, but he he can only do so much with no holes. So yeah, maybe it was just you know low energy, and maybe offensive coordinator Tony Elliott you know didn't have the best game plan, but like they're gonna they're gonna have to do one of those two things, and and they have so much talent that they really only have to do one of those two things, right? Like they don't need to be able to throw it downfield and run it to they just need to do one um, to make the playoff and at least win a semifinal game. So yeah, we'll see Uh, over in the ACC. Also, I don't know. It seemed like a quiet week in the conference, except for the fact that we've, we've had a few ACC teams now at this point fall off a ledge. NC state gets just, just slammed by North Carolina. NC state was ranked number 23. And then yeah, which Wake was Forest. always, which was weird. Like yeah. I never quite understood that. And then Wake Forest beats Virginia Tech, who everyone had been really high on recently as, as a team that had navigated COVID nineteen issues and and was playing well. So that's 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 not good for the for the you know, middle of the pack in that that conference. Louisville I, got a much needed win. Go ahead. People were just hating on Dave Clawson after Week One and losing to NC State in Week Two, but he is such a good coach. Like. Wake Forest is so underrated in that conference year to year. Like Jamie Newman probably should have stayed for a senior year at Wake Forest. Like the things that that staff did with Jamie Newman during his tenure were excellent. And anyway, I just want, I just wanted to shout out no, Dave Boston real quick. It's yeah. Wake Forest at three and two is showing a lot of signs of life. Boston college. Speaking of signs of life, Jeff Halfley, they beat Georgia tech 48 to 27. They play Clemson next week. Um, that, that could be a, a decently fun game. Louisville got a much needed win over Florida state. Last one I want to ask you about, Notre Dame 45, Pittsburgh 3, Ian Book threw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. Do you think the Fighting Irish are potentially turning a corner on offense? Because that's a good pit defense. Man, I, the thing is, like, I watched a decent amount of that game, and part of the reason why Ian Book's uh, passing yardage total looks so high is because a couple of the receivers made incredible plays and kind of had long touchdowns. Um, the transfer from... Northwestern, who I struggle to pronounce his last name, uh, his first name is Ben, had a spectacular <laughs> catch over the middle of the field and essentially had 60 yards after the catch to kind of patty and book stat line. So as well as Notre Dame looks like it played, I still question if Notre Dame's going to be explosive enough uh, later in the year. And I'm, I'm sorry, Ben, I will work on your last name uh, as we go on. Well, especially with receiver Kevin Austin out for the year, according to The Athletic. So that's you know, potentially their most dynamic guy, and he's He's not going to play again, and they will need they will need dynamic offense. They'll probably play Clemson twice this year to beat them once. The College Football Daily will be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. We had to talk about Jalen Waddell, of course, out for the season. College career probably done. Alabama wins 48-17 against Tennessee, but of course it came at a cost. Without Waddell, Alabama should be fine all the way up until Atlanta. I wonder how much easier this makes life for that Georgia defense. Really only having to to cover two dynamic receivers now in Devontae Smith and John Mechie instead of three because Waddell is just kind of like a a game-breaking cheat code. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there was a more difficult player to defend in college football than Jalen Waddle, and I can straight, say that with a straight face. I, I legitimately, maybe Rondell Moore when he's healthy, but other than that, like just what Jalen can do in the slot, like his speed, his quickness in the open field, and his ability to kind of turn even the shortest game to a touchdown is just special. And without that piece, which is just so difficult to contend with if you're defense, they're just. In college, there are very few, if any, slot corners who can hold Jalen Waddle uh, for most of the game. And without that piece, Alabama is just a little less dynamic. Mac Jones will have just one or two less windows to kind of throw into as good as Devontae Smith is, as good as John Mechie's been. Like, you just kind of have to take one piece off the chessboard for Alabama. And I like to think of Jalen Waddle as their queen. Like, as many things as Najee Harris can do, Jalen is the guy who could break a game open and kind of destroy anybody from anywhere in the formation. And when you take him away, it's just like you're playing with one arm tied behind your back. And Alabama is still talented enough to contend with anybody. They're still good enough to beat anybody. I just think their ceiling has dropped down a notch or at least two with Jalen being out. And it's just a shame. He's just so fun to watch. They've had some really bad injury luck. Last year, losing Dylan Moses and then Josh McMillan. And then, this, and then and of course, Tua. 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 Yeah. yeah. So this is this is, potentially could... If Alabama isn't hoisting a national title trophy at the end of the season, like I would say this is maybe one of the reasons. Uh, Tennessee, there's nothing we can say about them anymore. They're they're not very good. Jeremy Pruitt is probably a little bit fed up right now. Auburn, Seth Williams and Bo Nix refound their chemistry after fighting on the sidelines last week. Seth Williams scores a game-winning touchdown with like two minutes left. Ole Miss got robbed. Again. Auburn gets maybe lucky again. Auburn's three and two. It could be a lot worse, right? Auburn could be zero and five, and I wouldn't bat an eye given how the way the season. Well, gone. we we would bat an eye, but it would. Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. It right. would it would be justifiable because they've they've been the benef the beneficiary of every single close call this season. Yeah, I don't I don't know what Gus Malzahn did this year uh, with the refs. Like maybe he's going to put them on the Christmas card list or whatever. But they've been bailed out of three games, like. Auburn, like that, the end of the first half against Kentucky, that 
spike that wasn't a spike against Arkansas, and then this fumble that wasn't a fumble against Ole Miss, like all three of those games could have swung in an instant. And Auburn got all of those calls, and now they're three and two. Get it together, SEC refs, by the way. Like, I realize officiating crews are challenged this year. They're kind of working in a hodgepodge nature. But, like, that's so bad. Like, you can't have three games in the SEC swing like that within a five-week period and all in favor of the same team. It's just, it's a really tough look. So Auburn and LSU play next weekend on Halloween. I guess it's this weekend now. LSU won 52-24 to over South Carolina. True freshman TJ Finley was 17 for 21, 265, two touchdowns. Hey, like we talked about Joe Milton and we don't know who he looks like or who he is compared to, but that he's just like a, a big old dude. And TJ Finley is kind of the same thing. I think th- the Jamarcus Russell comparisons might be irresistible. Uh, TJ Finley, for folks in I, Baton just, Rouge. I mean, you probably remember, but like, I don't know if TJ Finley looked great in the drills at the opening, but I remember the long throw contest. TJ yeah. Finley's got a, just a cannon. Like the dude can sling it. Got a cannon. And we saw a little bit of that reveal itself. Chris, he just totally stared down his receiver um, in, on the one interception he threw. But this was a big win for LSU. A lot of people were sneakily picking South Carolina. To, they just Same. beat Auburn. Yeah, LSU had some strife. The defense could not stop anybody. All of a sudden, LSU's hanging half a hundred on a Will Muschamp team. Uh, the, the, this game versus Auburn, I wouldn't want to be the loser. But, hey, man, it, it, like LSU looks like they could be getting their season on track. And if Finley plays good plays I, well again, or uh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a, a quarterback controversy. I don't know. Maybe a quarterback controversy, but I just want to point out Bo Pelini's defense is still awful. They gave up 8.2 yards per play against uh, South Carolina, which is not a particularly explosive offense on its own. So I don't want to like ring. I don't want to say that LSU is fixed, but that offense and that system certainly seems to work uh, kind of no matter how the quarterback is. And that was evident with uh, Finley kind of under center. But that that Tiger defense has to get better. Yeah. Uh, true freshman on that LSU defense. Eli Ricks had another pick. And this was a pick six. And then. Um, BJ Ojulari, I get him confused with his brother Aziz, uh, had three sacks for for LSU too. So, like we we talked about how many guys they lost, we've talked about the attrition, but they are LSU and they have recruited well, and and those guys are starting to to rise to the top, and and it'll be interesting to see as as the season goes on, and and those guys get more reps if if there's any vast improvement coming LSU's way. I thought that was a, a big win for them. All right. Last Power Five conference that's playing, and then we'll quickly touch on the group of five. Over in the Big 12, Oklahoma State won the game of the week, right? 24-21 over Iowa State. They're in four, 4-0. They seem to be a lock at this point to make the Big 12 title game, and they, they will host Texas this upcoming weekend. I think the game was highlighted by strong defensive play and the return of Spencer Sanders at quarterback. Yeah, how odd is that? Big 12 teams uh, being talked about with strong defensive play, but... Other than a Brees Hall bust where I think he broke off a 66-yard touchdown run and kind of a garbage time touchdown at the end of the game uh, for Iowa State to cover, which I'm sure some people were upset about. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense locked them down. Brock Purdy had a terrible, terrible afternoon. And that Oklahoma State secondary is legitimately great. Like, I don't know. They haven't really faced anybody spectacular this season, but... They've just been consistent. They've been all over the ball. And Jim Knowles has them rolling in year three in his system. And I just, like, I keep thinking Mike Gundy's offense is eventually going to explode because it always does. Spencer Sandler's is going to get in rhythm eventually. And if that happens in the (laughs) deep, yeah, maybe you're right. If that happens and the defense keeps playing the way it is, like Oklahoma State's a legitimate playoff threat. I wouldn't pick them over Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, or any of those teams. But the Big 12's managed to get a, 
team in three of the last four years. And Oklahoma State, if it runs the table or has one loss at the end of the season, could be that team. Well, you know what? The Big 12 always gets Oklahoma in, and we know what Oklahoma is. It's this flashy offense that's going to score up points, but the, the defense is horrible. And I think it would be kind of nice to see the Big 12 get in a team that is not going to score as many points, but knows how to play competent defense. What were they entering the week? Number one in yards per play? Yeah, they were number one. I, I honestly, this Oklahoma State teams reminds me a lot more of like Washington's 2016 playoff team yeah. than it does anything Oklahoma's put out there. All right. So Oklahoma, they beat TCU. TCU stinks. OU oh, won yeah, 33-14. Like, people are going to sleep on the Sooners, right? Like They just are because they already have two losses, and, and we know they don't look as good as usual, and the schedule is going to get a little tired here. We got Texas Tech, Kansas, but... And then I mean, you can easily but, but look up. And Thanksgiving Oklahoma, week's... Oh, like, yeah. It's going to be Oklahoma State. It's going to be November 21st soon enough, and it's going to be an, an early iteration of Bedlam to, I mean, to, to maybe make or break the Big 12's title chances. Yeah, I could easily see a scenario where Oklahoma and Oklahoma State end up playing each other in the Big 12 championship game. Like, you are going to look up probably and see Oklahoma at 5-2 and two when they play Bedlam on November 21st. And if Oklahoma wins that game, they're going to walk into the Big 12 championship game. It's just how it's going to work. So every game for Texas the remainder of the season is a must win. They beat Baylor 27-16, incredibly boring outing. Now they play Oklahoma State. Do you think Tom Herman, they got to win this to, to stay alive in the Big 12 title race because the season is a disappointment regardless, Chris, but I think the fans, I mean, he'll Tom Hearn will keep his job if he makes it back to Arlington. Um, so they got, they got to win this upcoming weekend. I, and I think, I think the Baylor game was maybe a start. They, they ran the ball a little bit better than usual and played pretty good defense. Although it's worth noting that Baylor had only played two games before had hardly practiced in the last month and probably isn't very good anyway. <laughs> and also scored what, like two touchdowns in the final, like a uh, couple, like in the final quarter to make it closer than it should have been. But yeah. yeah, Texas was a little more disciplined. Texas ran the ball well in early downs, which is huge. And the defense played confidently against a Baylor offense. That's going to struggle all year, but how uh, late? We'll, yeah, we'll know a lot more uh, against the Cowboys next week for sure. How late did you stay up last night after publishing overtime? Cause the mountain West kicked off Chris Boise state 42 Utah state 13. I, uh, I watched the end of the world series and then I watched yeah. BYU for a while there. Okay, uh, Hank Bachmeyer. Hank, Hank Bachmeyer is doing his thing, right? Three touchdowns. George Halani, also a freshman last season, 100 yards and and a score. Like Boise That's State, it's, it's it's they're not going to have enough games, right, to to make a New Year Six conversation, but they might. It's, I mean, I Cincinnati. Really, I think I think Boise State BYU. If Boise State wins that game, I think it's in two weeks. Oh. Like could end up determining the New Year Six representative. Cincinnati and uh, Tulsa kind of fall off. Like there's a chance. Yeah, no, I, I forgot about BYU there in that calculus. Cincinnati beat SMU 42-13. to 13. SMU looked looked really, really bad, but Cincinnati, man, like Luke Fickle. Luke, Luke Fickle is going to get a big job eventually, probably in the Big Ten. I would have really, thought it would have been Michigan State. They, I just, they're on sorry. fire. I, don't, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just really like Desmond Ritter is excellent for what he is. Uh, he is a dynamic rushing quarterback. But I am so excited if Luke Fickle stays around for another year or two for Evan Prater, for those unfamiliar. He was the number three quarterback in the 2020 class uh, for the top 247. And if Evan Prater gets out there with this Cincinnati defense, like I legitimately think Cincinnati could challenge for a playoff spot. I think Evan Prater's that good. And it would be so much fun to see Luke Fickle trying to make something happen at Cincinnati uh, with Evan Prater under center. All right, well. Group of five races, it's fun. I hope everyone's cluing into that because there's a lot of good football out there even after the, the big boys are done. Uh, the AP Top 25 just came out as we were recording, so I'm just going to hit through the highlights and then we'll be done, Chris. Clemson 1, Alabama 2, Ohio State jumps up to 3. 
Notre Dame four, Georgia five, Oklahoma State six, Cincinnati seven, AM eight, Wisconsin nine, Florida ten. And Oklahoma jumps back in at 24 down below. Coastal Carolina is still ranked. Marshall's ranked. Penn State drops all the way to 18. Um, Oregon, Oregon jump or drops to 14 too. So it's like, it's, it's, I think we're starting to get a kind of a, a clear picture as to who our best teams are this year. Now that the big 10 is starting to play and, and the, the other power five leagues are playing, more, you know, more games and more than a few games each week. Yeah. I think Oregon and USC are kind of our final two pieces to see how the season will go. But it honestly, last night was nice. Like we had football until essentially like 1 a.m. Yeah. Uh, central time. And it, it felt like a normal Saturday. I got to tell you this stat though, and then we'll, we'll hop off. Like you, you talk about Saturday night it, and it was nice and we did have a lot of football. Chris Fowler, the play by play for the ABC game of the week had an incredible stat and I hadn't really noticed it had been this bad. I had noticed that the primetime games had been pretty boring, but look at this. Their margins of uh, scoring margins for, for every single primetime ABC game this year, Chris has been 13 points, 42 points, 21 points, 25 points, and 25 points. Of course, Minnesota, Michigan was not as close as we thought. So, well, and I, I mean, for, for everything that's it, holy, we, I, I want a good, I want a good Ohio state Penn state game next week. And I don't know if we're going to get one. I was about to say, I don't, I think that margin will keep going up next week. Uh, given what we saw, I think Ohio state's going to roll, but maybe it'll surprise me. All right. Well, it's going to be a big week on the college football beat. A lot of things to unpack. Uh, thanks for listening to the college football daily. Appreciate Chris Hummer joining us. Appreciate our producer, Tani Levitt putting this thing together. We are sorry about your terrapins, Tani. I don't know if Talia is the answer. My name is Chase Scott, and we will talk to y'all on Tuesday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or... I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.